G'day folks, Stefan Angelini from Investor Types here. Thanks again for listening to us. If you're a property lover and you're not sure what the right type of asset is for yourself, we've got a great episode for you today. We're talking to Justin Dunn, who's a buyer's advocate and specializes in buying a certain type of product. He loves the inner city suburb townhouses because they're on a good plot of land. You get great income, which can generally match the interest outgoings. So it's something that's cash flow neutral, but still has great growth potential. He talks about the kind of investor that that this is suitable for, uh, the kind of tenant that this attracts, and most importantly, um, the kind of returns you can expect. So if you've got any questions, feel free to reach out to me about about the session. I just want to stress one thing, that this is considered general information only. It's not considered personal advice or financial advice. If you want to consider a strategy like this for yourself, please go and consult your own financial planner. Other than that, I really hope you enjoyed the show. Let's get into it. Hey there, welcome to another episode of the Investor Types Podcast. What we're talking about today is we're talking about investing into property. And if you're a property lover, you might know that your typical property that people buy, it's, it's a house. They might think of buying a house, but I don't think about the holding costs, especially when you're talking about inner city and inner city, close to the inner city of Melbourne and Sydney and things like that. Mm-hmm. Who I'm with today is Justin from IP, IPB Property Brokers. So Justin Dunn has found what he thinks is the perfect little bit of stock. What we see is inner city, suburb, townhouses and units, things that focus on generating a bit more of a capital growth. For, so for those people that love a property investment, that want the growth, but also want the income that comes along with it. One thing a lot of people don't know about Justin is he's probably the best buyer's advocate, best looking buyer's advocate out there. Oh, for sure. Yeah, hundred percent. One of the only ones I know that used to be a stripper. So it takes a lot of work to keep up the brains to make sure you find the best property, but also just keep up keep up the rig. Oh, okay. but you don't strip healthy, anymore. Healthy mind, healthy body. <laughs> you don't strip anymore. No, mate, no. That's a long time ago, back in the day. <laughs> Whatever you got to do for a little bit of cash. Yeah, exactly right. So tell me these. Tell me a bit about these properties that you look for. Okay. And who are the kind of investor that you think these are best suited towards? Sure. Okay. Um, a lot of people when they start out buying property, they want to they want to start small. And we always advise people sometimes going to the next level is going to provide a better financial outcome for them long term. So um, we like to um, meet investors who uh, own a property, um, own their home. You know, they've got good incomes, they've got solid equity in their property that they can borrow against. So um, they might speak to a mortgage broker who says you can spend up to a million dollars, and we usually say to them, look, we like to advise people to spend between 700 and 900,000 mm. on a good investment property yeah. and for us a good investment property is uh, something um, on the inner inner north side of Melbourne is a three bedroom two bathroom townhouse with off street parking a courtyard um, that you're going to probably pick up between eight and nine hundred thousand dollars for something like that depending which area you're in mm. and it's probably going to rent for about seven hundred and fifty dollars a week so um, the, the thing that we're aiming for when we're buying these properties is capital growth and increasing rental return and a minimal hold cost to the landlord each week. Obviously, we want capital growth. We want to grow your wealth. Mm. We want the increasing rental uh, return so that over time, um, the liability for the landlord between the mortgage and rent each week is diminishing. Yep. And then over... Um, oh, I lost my train of thought. Um, and you want to make sure that it's growing over time? It's, uh, yeah, and yeah, the whole yeah. cost from the outset is minimal. Yeah. So we can buy properties at the moment that are you know, costing as little as $50 a week in high growth areas of Melbourne. And that's where everyone makes their money. Everyone yep. makes their money because they hold on to a property for the long term. And it yep. grows by the 5 to 7% per year. Yep. That just grows on itself. But if what people lose out is they forget how much it actually costs to run a property. Yep. And if you've got an investment, people normally think that I've got the interest costs of my mortgage. 
and then I've got the rent that's coming and they're going to be equal each other. Yeah. But they forget about land tax, they forget about maybe even body corporate that might come into it. Yep. Um, all the extra holding costs and maintenance on a property. Yep. So when you look at these ones, what, what's the difference between buying new, buying old? What do you like to, what do you we, prefer? We, we prefer to buy established real estate. We find new real estate's like buying a new car. Mm-hmm. You, you might go out there and you could spend $700,000 on a new apartment in Richmond. Richmond is a great area, so people think, oh, I'm buying in the right area. So I'll just get an apartment yeah. and that's going to serve me well in the long term. And there's three things. There's right property, right area, and there's right price. Yeah. So that one you might find you're in the right area, but you haven't quite got the right property and you're not paying the right price because you're paying market price plus the developer's profit, which is the new car premium. Yep, so yep. if you're buying established property, um, you could buy one of those apartments and you could take maybe seven or eight years for it to be worth what you've actually paid for it mm. while it goes through that price volatility um, in its first several years of life. The same as the townhouses that we buy. We buy them when they're approaching five years of age because they do go through that price volatility in their first five years of their life. Mm-hmm. So if you can buy it at the three or four year mark, pretty much within 12 months, you're gonna to start to get capital growth out of those sorts of properties. Okay, unless you buy it at the four or five year mark, you, they would still benefit from getting a little bit of depreciation that they can claim. So if they are on higher incomes and they yep. can, well, typically build, they might be if they're able to buy something that an building cost is always going to be there yeah that's so right so you fit fixtures and fittings inside you're not going to be able to depreciate as mm-hmm. the second owner uh, or if the first person's lived there uh, has been an owner occupier um, the first next person's investor I'm not sure if it's still available to them yep um, but yeah that opportunity is there for the for the building depreciation always for the, the building depreciation is always there yeah and, the, and one of the good things about buying one of those properties and letting it um, exist for a few years before you purchase it is um, you can do, you know, when you build a property, you, you've, you're in development, mm. you often find you can sometimes get uh, little gremlins in a property. Um, you have, so sometimes there's some rectification works and things like That's that. That's right. Um, I've built uh, single homes where I've had issues with the build, um, custom homes and th- stuff like that. Um, so when you get into these bigger projects, it's going to happen. Um, and if you're buying them a few years into their life, the chances are that the prices have settled down, but also those rectification works have also um, been, been fixed. Ta- yeah, and been taken care to, of. Yeah. Yeah, it's normally the first few years of, of a property is when things might go wrong or when people just move in. Yep. So you are, I guess, a, sort of a little bit against buying them off the plan because you're just sort of, you're, you're sussing it out to see if it is a good property, if it will stay, if it won't. And if there's a reputable builder that might be building them, you still sort of won't look at them? I tend not to. Yeah. I'd rather I'd rather wait till the price settles down a little bit. Yeah, okay. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't buy it myself, so I wouldn't recommend somebody else to buy it. And that's probably the biggest thing, right? Yeah. Like, why would you recommend someone buy something if you wouldn't do it yourself? You've got to put on. yourself in their shoes. Yeah. And that's the hardest thing as as a business owner, but also as an investor yourself. Yeah. You've yeah. got to you've got to be willing to walk the client through the journey and do things you want to do yourself. So you buy these properties, but you also manage them. Yes. A lot of them. Correct. Um, yes. So we, what sort we, of we manage every property we buy? Yeah. Okay. So yep. what so what sort of tenants do you find that typically come and rent these properties? Young professionals. So we're, mm. when we're focusing in the inner north of Melbourne, it's a really popular area. There's a lot of good infrastructure out there which attracts young people with mm-hmm. disposable incomes. Yep. And a lot of them are, ha- are happy to pay a premium to live in the area with all the things close by to them that they want. So, you know, bars, restaurants, cafes, gyms, bike trails, or shop, good shopping, mm. all that sort of stuff. And we just find that, that for, for us, that's, that's that part of town on the inner north of Melbourne. 
Yeah, so young professionals, low risk of them ever moving out. Yep. So that's the biggest thing with a rental. One, one property that we rented recently was a three-bedroom townhouse, um, three mid-30s girls, all working in uh, in as health professionals. Uh, mm -hmm. I think one's a radiographer, one was an osteo, and one was a nurse. Um, They've all known each other since uni, so we've got you know ten to fifteen year uh, friendship. They're all, all all earning good incomes, and they're all still living in that property. Ah. You know, so that's a, that's an ideal sort of outcome for us. Yeah, and yuck, I guess you could pick it is that even if one of them did move out, um, as as a collective, they'd probably come together and want to f get someone to fill that in. Yeah, to fill exactly. that room, and they'd be able to sort that out themselves. We get low turnover with those properties because they yeah. find that when they go, when, when we rent those sorts of properties out, we've got up to fifteen sets of applications. So if they give that property up, they've got to go then find an. A, then go and find another property and probably face another 10 to 15 applications for that sort of a property. And when you're trying to rent out these properties, how many applicants would you get on average? Because I know it's, it's, it's a really hot market. Anywhere from 6 to 15. For that so sort you got a, of, you got a sort choice. Of a property, yeah. Okay. So they're quite spacious properties that we buy. They've got an outdoor area. They've usually got one or two car parks off the street. So someone parks in the street. Someone may not even have a car. You often find um, two out of three people have got cars not a lot of the north. time these yep. days, particularly if they're working on that side of town in a hospital or something like we just talked about then. Um, the need for that sort of thing is, is not high. Mm -hmm. A lot of people ride bikes over there. <laughs> That's right. Everyone rides their bikes. Yeah. Um, so... You said before that you prefer people push up their purchase range for their first investment property to be between seven hundred to nine hundred yes thousand dollars yep um, as opposed to the average person that might search for their first investment property might search between four hundred to five hundred a lot of people come to us saying they want to spend between five and five fifty yep and then I have that talk with them we've got a uh, property investment analysis program which I can show you the difference in capital growth hold cost uh, rent you'll receive purchase price um, between uh, say a two bedroom apartment and a three-bedroom, two-bathroom townhouse. If you're one of those people who are just who are borrowing from the equity that they already have, they're not actually sticking their hand in their pocket for mm. a deposit. Yeah. <clears throat> the only thing you need, you're having to focus on in relation to that investment is how much capital growth is it going to get mm. and how much am I going to put into it each week. So on a, th yeah. on a townhouse like that, you could be paying, let's say, for $70 a week. If you go out there and buy a two-bedroom apartment between five and five hundred and fifty, you could be paying over a hundred dollars a week. In fact, some cases one hundred and thirty to one hundred and fifty dollars a week um, out of your own money to support that, um, and and you're not going to get as as good capital growth at the same time. That's right, and especially if you buy into an apartment, like body corporate costs make up such a big portion of what your overall yep. holding costs are. Where well, you might buy in an apartment building and you might pay upwards four to ten thousand dollars a year. Yeah, but I can imagine these in these townhouse projects or developments, there might be, it'll be a lot smaller. Do you find the, yeah. the owner's corporation costs? About $1,000 a year sometimes. That's cheap. Yeah. And that includes insurances? Yep. That, that includes insurances for the building? Yeah. And well, in some of the townhouses that we buy, and there's quite a few developments in North Melbourne, in Brunswick and places like that, where they're quite big clusters. They might have 40 or 50 townhouses in them. Um, and they're actual individual streets. There's no owner's corporation costs. Their own home. Yeah, they're buying yeah, their own. They're just classified as a town title, home. not a strata. Yeah, I love those. Little, yeah, so I it's love like those a muse, a little muse style village. Yeah, yeah. If I could do one of them in the future, one yeah. day, yeah, we've all got to have goals and aspirations to build, <laughs> to do one of them, one yeah, of them yeah, projects. Yeah, yeah. Have fifty townhouses in ideal location where people yeah. actually want to come in and go. 
I want one of these because these yeah. are beautiful and this will perform. Yeah, it's it'll become a nice little village. There's several of them around. There's, you know, there's, there's Fabric, which is an old laundrette site in Brunswick. There's the Brickworks development in Dawson Street, which was the old Hoffman's Brickworks. Yep. There's the Willow Cooler Esky, Esky site mm-hmm. in North Melbourne uh, there, which is just uh, near, near, near the hospital yeah. um, in that little precinct there. So there's a lot of that sort of stuff around. So you've been in the game for a long time. I've been an advocate for 16 years, and I was in real estate sales for 12 years before that. Okay, so you've seen a bit. So tell me about these kinds of properties that you buy. What are some of the horror stories that you've seen or horror stories that's happened to you when buying these kinds of properties, and if none here, any kind of property? Okay, so I haven't heard horror stories from buying townhouses um, and and good product that we recommend. I've heard horror stories from people buying apartments where there's been lots of issues, where they've owned it and then the property, um, a similar property in the same building sells for $100,000 to $150,000 less in a couple of years of their ownership. Um, Some of the biggest horror stories I've heard of people buying student accommodation at inflated prices under, under high, from high pressure salespeople, um, where they've got a very small purchase price, maybe two hundred and eighty thousand or something like this. This is several mm-hmm. years ago, and you know, before long, the property is worth one hundred and ten, one hundred and thirty thousand dollars. Um, they still haven't grown well, those sorts of things. Right. Anything that's too small, it's got too many in the block and things like that, you just want to avoid those sorts of things. Okay. Um, but yeah, look, I haven't heard had issues of people with buying houses. Yep. Um, haven't heard issues of, with people buying townhouses. It's mainly some of the stratas that the pitfalls come along with a lot of the time. Yeah. So you've big, seen bigger multi-story buildings. Yeah. So you've seen a bit, and you you started in sales, and obviously with sales, you, you're acting for the vendor, trying to get them the best price. Correct. When did you make the transition, and why why did you make the transition into becoming an advocate and searching for <coughs> ideal properties for people? Yeah. Look, I, I left real estate sales and um, just wanted to try something different, and discovered buyers advocacy. Um, I had a small stint in that before actually something disrupted that, which was a court case for defamation. So I went back to real estate sales after that because I, I was quite angry with a, an auctioneer who was doing the wrong thing at the time and just doing the whole dummy bidding, which was quite yeah. kosher back then. Um, and, uh, and so I went back to real estate sales, spent four years doing that and just got depressed and hated it. Yep. And then it's when one day I woke up and thought buyer's advocacy is what I want to do, what I really like. Um, it's a good way of, uh, I think a lot of people are lambs at the slaughter out there when they come to dealing with a, a highly skilled professional real estate agent. I wouldn't say professional, that's probably the wrong word. Um, <laughs> a highly skilled agent. Yeah. Um, you know, they're great. They're, and, and look, the thing is um, that you learn from doing real estate sales is there's no new tricks mm. in real estate. Everything's the same, but unfortunately most people aren't aware of what they are. Mm. Yeah, especially if you're getting help, into buying help your first negoti- investment property. Yeah, we can help people negotiate that, that because A, we've been in that seat before for 12 years, yeah. got lots of experience. As I say, there's no new tricks. I've seen and heard them all before. And we've got relationships with real estate agents. So mm. a lot of the time, they'll, prof- they'll extend you what I call professional courtesy when it comes to a sale and a negotiation, helping you, getting you and your client into the box seat. Because the chances are that you know, there's 100 times more likely they're going to deal with us again than they are the man off the street. Yeah, that's right. So they've got to be good to you. Yeah. So given these all these lessons you've learned, what would you say, what would you give out as advice or some of the key lessons for things for people to look out for when they're going to buy their investment property? Um, research. 
do research. Yep. I mean, first of all, you've got to do your research on the product that you're buying. So if you are buying into an apartment building, research pros and cons of buying into a buying new property versus buying established property. I mean, Google's an amazing tool um, that's so it's it's just it's at your fingertips. <laughs> um, it's right there. Um, yeah. and there's, so, can, there's so many different magazines you can look up, and there's yeah, analysis on and everything. Sometimes, um, sometimes the, it can be confusing listening to so many opinions and things, but you do get the general feel of what's good to get into and what's not good to get into from doing that small amount of research. Um, my suggestion to people is do your research in relation to pros and cons of, of what you're looking at purchasing. Um, go out there, do a lot of research on price. Um, don't feel pressured into making a decision quickly and, and paying too high a price for something if you're not comfortable with it. We, we always find that with our clients that because we're searching so much, and, and when you are searching, you know, you've got to really hammer it. You've got to treat searching for property to buy like a full-time job. If you want to be successful at it, if you don't want to let those bargains, uh, those really good value properties slip through the cracks, you've got to be hammering it full-time like a full-time job. And that's where people don't, uh, they're not successful or it takes them 12 months to be successful and in a rising market it can cost you a lot of money mm -hmm. um, is because they're not out there. They take a weekend off, they take a few weeks off, oh we'll give it a rest this week, we're sick and tired of it or we're going out Saturday night or Friday night, we've got a hangover Saturday, we, we, we didn't make it out to those three properties and we should have gone to that auction, we looked up the results on the Monday we felt and it went for below what we were prepared to pay for mm. it, all those sorts of things. The um, emotions of not being able to find a property. Yeah, if yeah, you're going searching right. for I mean, ten, twelve weeks, and best you're dedicated. advice I can give, give you is, is is get yourself a buyer's advocate. Yeah, you know whether it's me <laughs> yeah. or somebody else. Yeah, you know, that's speak right. to buyers because some buyers advocates are great, some aren't so great. Some will buy you a property at all costs, which may not be the right thing for you to do. Mm. Um, you really want to make sure that you've got somebody who, and word of mouth's a really good way of finding that sort of person, um, somebody who's had a good experience in the past, um, and, and just making sure that you know they, they can validate what they're recommending you to buy and why. Mm. Um, you know, If they are recommending you to buy a brand new property, why are they doing that? You know, What's the reason? Um, mm. You've got to make sure that the person who's representing you, you're the one who's paying them. And that's the key to it. If you're not the one who's paying them, if you've got somebody who's an, in, an investment advisor posing as a buyer's advocate, but they're working for a developer selling stock and trying to tell you how great this stuff is, yep. they're not going to be looking after your best interests. No, no, that's right. And yeah. I think a lot of people forget about how big of a capital injection or of a commitment it is buying a property. Yeah. Like we've got this thing that property just keeps going up over time, but don't forget yeah. you're getting into bed with the bank for a big debt. And if you don't buy the property for the right amount, you're holding onto this stock and you're not going to make any money for 10 years. Well, what's yeah. the point? What's the point in owning it if it doesn't achieve you good, strong, consistent capital growth yeah, from then, the outset? Yeah. You know, a lot of people advise buying the newer stuff and they say, oh, as soon as you hear somebody saying, oh, but think long term. That's great, but yep. that usually means you're not going to make money for that first five or eight years like I told you about. You want to buy a property and you want to be able to look at it in 12 months, do some research, like what we do with our clients. We jump on, on the sales data pace six months, 12 months, every six months after we've purchased it for them, and we send them sales data of competing properties that, that have sold that are similar to theirs, that have got higher prices, so they can say, this is the growth that you've made. This is what the investment in our services has gained you yeah. by making that good decision. And that, that's what you don't see a lot in the market. So we do that on, on a like, daily basis. When okay. someone gets a when someone gets an inheritance or they've got to pay out, they've saved a lot of money, and they go, look, I've got a lot of money. I've got $800,000 million I want to invest. Um, I don't know where to invest it. They come to someone like me, and we might allocate them between shares and properties and things like that. 
But for some reason, yeah, when they go to wanting to buy a property, they want to do it all themselves. It's such mm. a big capital investment. Yeah. No one ever ever tells you about the performance, which is we've got access to it on a daily basis. But the daily reporting on a property is not always there. How do you mm. get access to that information? The sales data yeah, uh, from a, an industry database. So the REIV, there's two, two main database sources. There's the REIV yep. and then there's um, RP data. So that's owned by realestate.com. Yep. We, we've always been with the REIV property data online system. We changed a couple of years ago to RP data and we found it wasn't as good. It's great for salespeople who want to do a CMA for, to go into a listing presentation, but just to pull out individual sales of directly comparable properties. So when you... When you, it's like doing a, an online generated thing through the ANZ or something like that. You can type in, I want three bedroom houses in this suburb. Mm. And I'll give you renovated versus unrenovated and so on. It's, it's so general um, that the, the computer doesn't know which property you're talking about. They don't, don't, can't register that. So you need somebody's brain and a person to inspect the property to work out what you're comparing against. Mm-hmm. And they're going to give you a range. And you look on realestate.com at the moment and you'll see the range for this property is between 700 and 950,000. Now that's pretty general. How do you nail that down? Do you pick the middle mark? Probably not the best way to go yep. so what we do is we go into the database and, and I'm sort of di- digressing here but um, the database that we use now the REIV database um, we'll go into that and we'll just pick out directly comparable sales yep. and then print those out and then sit down in front of the client this and run through them these are the properties that have sold that are similar to yours in the last three months mm. if it's a rising market we then have to say to the client look you've also got to plan for the fact that the market's risen a bit since then as well so you've got to add maybe three to five percent to the price to be able to get a uh, uh, to be able to be competitive in in the current market yep. um, so yeah so we use we use the REIV we use tried RP data and as I say it's good for real estate salespeople not as good for us if we're trying to um, identify specifically relatable properties to compare against compare what I call is recent local comparable sales data mm-hmm. yeah love it so what I love about talking to you and figuring out how you find certain properties, because what you're looking for, they're not always on the market. The kind yep. of property you want isn't always there. Yep. What are some of your tips on how you find the ideal property? Once you've done your research, you've identified where you want to buy, what you want to buy, and what the ideal, I guess, property is yep. to purchase. You've yep. identified your specific niche. Um, how, do you go, how do you go about finding it? Okay, there's three ways that we find property. The same way everybody does, we use the internet realestate.com and domain. You don't need any other websites apart from that. Real Estate View is just really an industry tracker site that's owned by the REIV. Um, so we register um, on there with the property alerts for the client specific criteria, wait for things to pop up on the internet. So we search through those. Um, we then have use our relationships with real estate agents to try and uncover off-market properties. Off-market properties are great and everyone thinks, oh, that's the that's where the gold is. And it is if you've got the right place. What is an um, off-market property? So something that a real estate agent has the opportunity to sell or yep. somebody's come to them and said, look, we've bought, we just want to buy. Can you help us find a buyer for this property? Yep. Um, we don't want to advertise it. We don't want to do the marketing stage. Yeah, some people like don't call that an off-market. They say they call that on-market because yep. it's, but if I, if I can get exclusive access to it, let's not call it off-market. Let's call it exclusive. Yep, okay. Uh, an exclusive property through a real estate agent um, and our relationships help to create that sort of stuff. Mm. We've been doing that for the last 16 years. And the third thing we do is we'll go out there and we'll do letterbox drops to, to properties. So at the moment I've got a, a young client, he lives in Gisborne, he's looking for a property, he works in North Melbourne um, and one of the big track sites, an mm-hmm. electrical uh, 
um, contractor with the railways and goes around to different states doing things with um, with that business. Um, he said to me, look, I want to be in Kensington um, in the stockyards development, which is near his work. He wants to be close, sick of tired of driving um, to North Melbourne from Gisborne imagine, every, yeah. every day, <laughs> never pay for a 45-minute drive. Yeah. So I said to him, look, there's another um, development here in Ascot Vale called the Enclave, a Mervac development, which is a few years old. Um, come and have, go and have a drive around that, see what you think. So he said, yeah, I like it. So I've gone out and done letterbox drops to that develop, complete development twice. Um, first time I got one call, the second time I got another call. Um, so I've taken him to the first one. Liked it, but the owner wanted probably one hundred and fifty to two hundred thousand dollars more than what it's worth. So yep. we said no, thank you. One um, we went to the other day, the owner's more realistic with price. He's probably only fifty over, so that's going to be one we can negotiate on. Mm -hmm. He said yes to that. We like it, but then a real estate agent has also given me an off market up around the corner, which we're going to next Thursday. So in that block, we've got three opportunities. All of them are off market. Two I found through a letterbox drop, and one through a real estate agent. So that's that's the. the this is a utopia situation that we like to create. Yep. It's a competitive market out there at auctions. So if we can avoid finding properties that are you know, generated competition by the real estate agent and the internet, um, then that's a great situation opportunities, for our client. Opportunities you don't yeah, get just by going on realestate.com. Yeah, it usually means if a, if a person's willing to do that through a real estate agent, they're a motivated seller for yeah, a yeah, reason yeah, and yeah. there's a good opportunity to no negotiate a good result. Yeah, 100%. So we've gotten some real gems. So before people get into purchasing a property, do your research. Yep. Don't get sucked in by um, a real estate agent and hire a buyer's agent or buyer's That's advocate if idea. you can. Pay for one. Yeah. Um, Invest in their services. Let's say people want to get into their first investment property. What are some advice you got for them in terms of cash flow, <coughs> debt, um, projecting what they're going to be doing in the future, all that kind of advice. Yeah, look, um, you know, one of the things that we use for um, <clears throat> with clients before they enter a negotiation is, is what I call a property investment analysis. Yep. Um, it's a computer program which you plug in all the details about the purchase. People can buy it. It's from Summersoft Financial Services in mm. Queensland. It's $500. Um, you just pay for updates when there's changes to tax laws and, and rates and all that sort of stuff. And you plug in all the details, the purchase costs, the the, the ongoing cost, it's got a CPI rate in there, and it tells you exactly down the bottom how much a property is going to cost that investor to hold um, for so the next 10 years. Yeah. So it could say $72 a week. If you can mm -hmm. afford $72 a week and that's the purchase price you're willing to go to, and try and negotiate up to or below that price. And if you get below that price, it's going to be a, a better outcome from that $72. Mm -hmm. um, so if you can get hold of something like that, it's a really great way of um, going into situation with your eyes wide open, yeah. fully fully researched, making sure that it's something that's uh, achievable, it's not going to impinge on your lifestyle too much, because you still want to be able to do, do other things. Don't go in too small when you're buying a property, go and don't be afraid of spending a little bit more, because it's going to usually be less of a hold cost yep. and a better financial um, return um, in capital growth Get a high in the quality. long term. Better quality property. If you go and buy a one-bedroom apartment, chances are in 10 years' time, you may have made 10%. Yeah. There you go, folks. Do your research. Make sure you know how much you're going to be spending on a weekly or even monthly basis. Make sure you can afford it. Um, and probably most importantly, don't be shy to get in. If you're in a position where you can do it and you keep holding on, you're never really going to start growing your wealth even from the start, yep. as long as you don't overpay. Yep, that's right. <laughs> so for all you for all your people out there who might have a bit of equity in their home, done a really good job of starting to pay it off, and you're looking for that next journey, that next investment property, you want to be motivated by having a high income but also a high capital growth property, 
Um, speaking to someone like Justin or going to look for this kind of stock might be really right for you. Um, so in saying that, mate, thanks a lot for uncovering all those gems and for giving us all that advice. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Um, if you've got any comments about what we chatted about, feel free to comment on the links below or reach out to one of us. Um, thanks a lot for listening. I look forward to seeing you on the next episode. Thank you so much for tuning into another episode of the Investor Types podcast. What I want to remind you is that everything you heard in this podcast is general advice only. Please don't consider it as personal advice. If you do want to consider, consider it as being personal advice, please go and speak to your licensed financial planner. Everything here is just informational purposes only. Take it as you will. I really hope you enjoyed the episode. Thanks again for tuning in. See you soon.